the first time, I feel that our department can actually reach more teachers and more teachers can access us compared to the past, right? Because in the past, they would have to rely on site-specific or district-specific one-size-fit-all professional development. Whereas these days, we're able to customize that, be more flexible with that, have them kind of revisit that learning. We've actually been able to do more professional development and teachers have been able to access us more this time around in the last three months compared to what we've been able to do the last three years. I'm Rowana Mack. I'm the District Coordinator for Services for English Learners at Saddleback Valley Unified School District. It is a TK to 12 district in Orange County, South Orange County to be specific. We have an overall population of about 28,000 students with about 5,000 of that being English learners. So our department here oversees everything from soup to nuts that have to do with English learners from identification, reclassification, assessment, but also on the teaching and learning side of things. So that's providing a conceptual framework for teachers to really implement the ELD instruction with fidelity, uh, professional development for teachers and for site admins, um, as well as design of courses that are really going to be effective for English learners. Okay, Rowena Mack from Saddleback. Uh, let us know first what your district has planned for going back to school. Is there a plan yet? And how is that plan affecting sort of the way that you're thinking about uh, providing equitable instruction for your English learners? Absolutely. We have a plan. It has just been approved by the board a couple of weeks ago. And that is to go back to distance learning, full distance learning in the fall. Um, having that said, we did put out a school selection survey for, for our parents that once we're able to return back to school physically, they will have a choice between continuing with virtual learning or um, going back to school on a hybrid model. So specifically for the English learners, I think what we have to keep in mind is what were the lessons that we learned from the spring when we were kind of forced into the situation of distance learning with very little preparation. So that for us is kind of access to materials and education for parents so that they could support their children at home. So that has been something that we're really kind of focusing on. What were the lessons we learned from that experience to support our ELs and how are we going to grow from that experience and make some improvements for, uh, for the service of our, of our English learners? Yeah, so it, it seems like many districts you're provide, you're going back remote, all remote, and then there's going to be some sort of choice as you come back. That seems mm -hmm. to be a common theme, although one thing that you mentioned is the choice to go back hybrid. It seems like it seems like a lot of districts are doing kind of one or the other at this point, that they're sort of not doing the hybrid model, mostly because it's just so much planning for teachers because they have to plan for every part. Right. Curious as to what, you know, I mean, I guess it's specific to the English learner mm -hmm. uh, uh, demographic, but in general, what was the behind the choice of going back hybrid once you finish that remote piece or having the choice to do that? Sure, we took a lot into account. So, of course, state and county guidelines as to what we're able to do. But very early on, we also took the pulse of the community. So we did parent surveys teacher surveys, student surveys, 
as to how they feel about you know this whole situation. And it really was very split. You know, we did it in March and we readministered the survey again and it continues to be split. And I think that while we're not gonna be able to have one plan or two or three plans that's gonna satisfy the needs uh, of all families, I think what we're trying to do is just to try and accommodate everyone to the best of our ability so that we could support their comfort level, yes, but at the same time, we're not shortchanging them in terms of the instructional experience that they're going to get out of it. You know, Right. Yeah, having that flexibility, you know, it's, it's hard because you have, like you said, I mean, it seems like it has been sort of split down the middle. It's very contentious and understandably so. Um, but you're putting, it seems like you're putting a lot of focus. You said those two things were making sure that students have access to the materials and the tech tools probably that they need to be able to, and just mm-hmm. the Wi-Fi, and also making sure that you're engaging with families and educating right. families. Talk to us a little bit more about that because that's also been a key theme. And I think one that has been delightfully put in the spotlight, the importance of family engagement. Yeah, so especially for our ELs, it has been, or maybe I'm a little bit biased in saying especially for the ELs. No, I'm with you, I'm with you. (laughs) Yeah, that has been a a great, great emphasis for us back then and even so more now, right? So what we have at each site is what we call bilingual parent advocates or community liaison. So we have that at each site. So very early on, we took that group of people and we really wanted to understand what are some of the challenges that EL families are having at home with respect to supporting their children. And there were some unique things that are only particular for ELs, whether they are right or wrong or whether they are accurate or not, they are experiences that our EL families are having namely with respect to understanding how to support their students' learning at home. Mm-hmm. Whereas some families and some students had the privilege for however challenging it was for parents, but at least having one parent at home that was there side by side with them to either give them some assurance, to help them log on to their learning management system, or to even check their work. Our EL families didn't always, our students didn't always have that, Mm -hmm. right? So we had to think about how is it that we're going to support the parents with whatever resources that they have and whatever comfort level they have in their disposition with learning so that our EL students could have that benefit as well. Right. Yeah. And that's, that is right in the crosshairs of that equitable experience. You know, I mean, that's, we're seeing a lot about that. And certainly, uh, you know, in, in many ways, I was lucky I have four children of my own, but I was sort of doing this and also supporting them with their, you know, their work. But I had the, I had the, the luxury of working from home. A right. few of these podcast episodes, you could probably hear my kids and my dogs in the background, but nonetheless, it was challenging. And I would add like the other thing that, that I think is important is that nice for kids to have is for parents to just be sort of frustrated with them to, right. to be next to them and be like, Oh, this is really hard. You know, yeah. when you're not involved and you're working on your own because through no choice of your own, it can be difficult to empathize with what they're going through and vice versa. You know, I, I experienced that personally as well. And I'm an educator and I'd yeah. like to believe that, you know, I have a fair amount of understanding about those learning tasks that my, you know, that my children were getting. And I felt that same frustration. And in some sense, it's like, I should be able to do this a little bit better, but at the end of the day, I am a human being and I'm also a working parent. So I think that just giving us uh, ourselves the grace to kind of, you know, live in that moment and, 
and probably just to be compassionate to everyone and everything about the unique experiences we were facing. Yeah, I've heard that word a lot, that expression, give ourselves grace. I like it. Um, so what's top of mind for you right now? You just kind of gave us a little bit of an outline of, of what you've done and where you're, where you're going. But what are, you, what are your concerns right now? I hope nothing's keeping you up at night. But if there was one thing, what would you, what would you say it was at this point? I, I think it's okay to keep it up, to keep, for it to keep me up at night, right? Because I think those are the types of things that, you know, on my way to work, on my drive to work, and I'm going like, I really need to keep on figuring out what this looks like. And that's how it is that we can help teachers understand that just because distance learning is happening doesn't mean they minimize the learning opportunities for ELs. Mm -hmm. And it is above and beyond what they need to provide for non-ELs, right? Because they are developing content language, but they're developing language at the same time. So both of those things have to be supported. So what's keeping me up is, are our students going to have access to those or will they just be kind of like one size fits all because it's, it's challenging for the teacher. Therefore, you're all going to get the same thing, right? So from our department, how can we put an infrastructure to make it easy for teachers to kind of say, I know my ELs need something, but I really can't right now. But what if there were resources that say, I know my ELs need that. And look, there is this something Mm -hmm. that the Services for English Learners Department built for me as a starting point so that I can calm down and not be so overwhelmed that this is so difficult because once I see it, it's like, oh, okay. So Steve, allow me to be a little bit more specific. So one of the things that's very important for language learners are those opportunities to develop their oral proficiency, right? The good thing about that, so if you think about that, first of all, especially for teachers that may not have a background in language development or linguistics teaching that, right? You may think, I don't even know how I'm going to do that, right? So it's incumbent upon our department to say, actually, there are a lot more tools and resources for you to do that right now. You know, you have your Flipgrid, you have your Seesaw, and they are relatively easy to set up. And with those things, you're actually increasing the likelihood that your students have practice on oral proficiency. Yep, I love compared, it. Compared to when they were in the classroom and you had to rely on mm-hmm. calling on them one-on-one. So we're getting into the affordances now that, right. that online learning provide. Yes, please continue. Right. Yeah, yeah. Those, so, you know, so those are the types of the things. But so for me, I have to position myself from really the mindset and the emotions of all of our stakeholders. What are our parents going through? But what are our teachers going through as well? You know, yes, that there's a lot of responsibility um, on the teachers and it's really incumbent upon them to provide these learning opportunities for students. But we have to remember when they go home, they're experiencing the same thing as us, their parents as well, That's right. right? And so we also have to equip them with something to begin with so that they can build from that and not just say, hey, teacher, this is your job. So do it. That's not fair either. So are tools like Flipgrid and Seesaw and the others that you mentioned, are those the, the part of the solution to the, to the issue? Is that you know, what's helping you kind of process how you're going to go about supporting these teachers? Or is it, I mean, it, it's got to be more than that as well in terms of like yeah. equipping them with it. You know, I mean, giving, I, I love the idea of those tools. I mean, those are great tools and ones that I've used as well. Um, but how do you, 
how do you sort of calm a content teacher down and say, look, you can provide equitable instruction to these students and you can still give them what they need to improve in both language and content. Here are some of the tools that you can use to do it. But what, I mean, does something come before that in that equation in terms of your collaboration with them? Right, because it's not going to, it's only going to go a long way if I told them Flipgrid and Seesaw does this, right? Right, I mean, we've all, yeah. we've all received those huge lists of tech right. tools, right? Like what, here's a, what, you know, here's right. a giant list, go for it, but then you just yeah. get overwhelmed. So on, on that, Steve, we definitely experienced that. So March 13th came around and by March 15th, our department built an ELD resource site, mm-hmm. Right. And we started really with by level. So like, what are the resources for elementary teachers? What are resources for secondary teachers? But we knew that at the secondary level specifically, we had to reach the content area teachers. So I'm a history teacher. I have some of my students that are ELs and some of my students that are not ELs. And frankly, I'm really scared about the supporting ELPs because I think it's this huge thing that's not attainable unless I was an English teacher. And that's not really true. So what we did is we created office hours and we would invite content area teachers to come there with us and really just show us what you're doing and show us what you're frustrated about in your lesson development. And then as a result of that, we were able to build um, subsequent uh, webinars, you know, and, and PDs that, that were live, but we recorded on very specific, discrete skills mm-hmm. that students and, and teachers need to have. So how do you differentiate reading? So reading can be accessed. How, you know, and then what are the tools that you need to do for that? So we wanted to give them kind of like the theoretical framework, yes, but you need to give teachers something very practical at the same time. Yeah. Yep. So our approach was really kind of like that simultaneous thing of like, this is the theoretical framework to support EOS. And by the way, this is how you actually replicate that come Monday. Yep. And here's a tool to allow you to do that a little bit better. Right. Yeah. I always like to push, put, I knew you'd have, I, I just knowing the work that you're doing, I knew you'd have a great answer, but I always love to push people on that. Just that's my background with tech integration. And I've been, I've been, I've been, you know, uh, certainly in a place where I've said, Hey, here's a list of things, try them. Yeah. You know, and that, that just, right. that can be overwhelming, especially, um, especially now. That was actually our point of entry with the teachers where we said our department is going to vet all those lists of resources yeah. that you have and how we organize them is on, um, on questions. Like, how do I continue to do this for my students? And by the way, here are the tools that you could use for that. And in some, in, some, in some cases, the same tool can fit the need of multiple for things, sure. right? Mm-hmm. But I want them to understand first that these are questions you should be wondering and considerations you're making for your instruction, less about you should use Flipgrid. Right, right. right. Yeah. And, you know, Flipgrid may work for one person. It may not work for the other. And, you know, right. whatever it takes to get to the end goal, which you, it sounds like you all have supported and prepared for. And I think you're doing a really, it sounds like you're doing a really good job sort of uh, using your EL experts as the experts that they are, you know, and, and providing re- those resources to the content teachers, which I think is so important. And, you know, collaboration in some ways might be easier now for teachers. Absolutely. And we, we talk about equity. I, I wonder if, and I, I'm actually going to ask you, I mean, is it, do you feel like it's a more, uh, the teachers can more sort of equitably access professional development opportunities given the little bit more flexibility that they have with remote learning? Have you seen that or no? 
I have to tell you that I felt it's almost, you know, I feel almost guilty saying like there's good things coming out of this. Because and don't feel guilty. That, I think know, we because, have to. You know, because I know that terrible things are happening. But for the first time, I feel that our department can actually reach more teachers and more teachers can access us compared to the past, right? Because in the past, they would have to rely on site-specific or district-specific, one-size-fit-all professional development. Whereas these days, we're able to customize that, be more flexible with that, have them kind of revisit that learning. We've actually been able to do more professional development and teachers have been able to access us more this time around in the last three months compared to what we've been able to do the last three years, right? Yeah, I don't know that, if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> well, I think both, you know, I mean, the, obviously the cause of that is not good, but the end result might yield positive results. And the hope is that, you know, things aren't going back to normal anytime in the foreseeable future. But my take on it is, do we really want to go back to normal or can right. we learn from this and make it better? Yes. So it sounds like you have a solid plan in place. I mean, you know, basically what you're going to do, but thinking about the needs of those English learners in particular, how prepared do you think you all are to just pivot if needed? If, if, if and when something happens that sort of changes everything, mm-hmm. are you prepared? And, and, and you know, what, what, what makes you feel prepared or unprepared to make changes if you need to on the fly? Okay, I would like to say we are prepared, but not certain, right? I don't think because, anyone's certain. That's why I yeah. use the word prepared. <laughs> Because that certainty piece, regardless of how prepared we are, that certainty piece can change at any given time based on the current situation, right? But this is how I kind of like to calm everyone down. Schooling did not become, like, it wasn't invented on March 13th. We've been doing schools, teaching, and learning for a really long time. And over that course of a time, there have been four elements of instruction that we know to be true, research-based, effective, and impactful on student learning, right? So long as we keep those core elements in mind, as we design what we're going to do, then we know that our heart and our minds are in the right place. And all the other things are logistics that we have to put into place. But I think for however frustrating it is, everyone does understand that things are constantly are constantly changing. And many times, especially during this time, it's beyond our control. Right. So the best thing that we can do is stay focused on what's best for our students, what are some of those things that we know we need to provide for them, and continue to develop ways to provide that for them. That's very well said. I mean... You know, there, there are a lot of people are saying now, and I, I, I've said this too, you know, that, that throw your best practices out the window right now because nobody mm-hmm. knows what best practices are. But if we, if we zoom out a little bit, best right. practices are making sure that we design based on what we know works. And like you said, I think you said everything else is logistics. It's, I, I, you're 100% right. And it's the logistics that people get hung up on. And I think a lot of times people think, oh, these logistics are going to mean that I need to do things differently. Well, yeah, you need to do things differently, but your goal, your end goal if we're all in this for the right reasons and we have been since from the beginning, they're going to be the same, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. That's, I, that's, that's well said. If, if you're, if you need to hear that again, go ahead and go back to that part. Cause I think, I think you said that really well. Um, is there like a, an anecdote or a story 
something that's happened in your district over the last couple of weeks that can kind of illustrate what you're going through right now, maybe a, a challenge or a triumph or, or a win or a loss that, that kind of demonstrates just, just how crazy it is in your world. I mean, you're sitting here oftentimes behind closed doors with your team. One mm-hmm. of the things we want to do is just, is just, just really showcase and humanize what you and, and your colleagues are doing around the country. Right. I think the most challenging piece right now is kind of the fickleness of families and how their minds and opinions and preferences change as quickly as the newscast changes, yeah. you know? So, you know, we, we took their pulse back in the spring and they said one thing, we did it again in June. It changed a little bit, not dramatically, but then once we actually ask them, make a selection for the school year, it became very real. So when they were still thinking about it, when it was just a survey, they were saying, this is what I want. This is what I would prefer. This is what my students need. But once we said, we need you to tell us which model you're going to go with for the year, because that's going to help us with programming, scheduling, and staffing, all of a sudden people were like, oh my gosh, this is real, isn't it? I'm going to have to commit for this year. So how is it that we continue to support their thinking? And I know that a lot of our site principals are doing their own parental and community engagement at the site level so that they can continue to really help parents build their understanding. And it's really just that, build understanding, raise awareness, because it's pointless for you to think that giving them answers is what you need or satisfying everyone's want is what you need. Those are not the right things to focus on, right? So I think how is it that we can continue to support families? Because I think now more than ever, their voices are, are really loud and are really making a difference on how it is that we are making our plans. Yeah. That's you know you started it off with sort of the the fickleness of of families and and um and I knew where you were going to go with that but that word fickle is is a good way to explain it and I think largely that's because of I mean I live in in New England and a saying here is and you, I know you said you're from Chicago so you probably get this too if you don't like the weather just just wait a minute and it will change right <laughs> it's gonna change well, yeah it's similar to this situation right like I mean every we're so used to since March just just not really knowing what's going to happen next and so when you send out surveys early I think you probably get just a quick response and idea. But then when people start to really think about it, as you mentioned and say, Oh, this is real. Like the storm is coming. And when you need to prepare for it, um, you might be surprised by what people put down. And the other thing that you mentioned, which I think is really interesting, is you mentioned, you know, when the media comes at, when the news changes, they, they sort of change their idea. So that's another question I'm curious about that I wanted to ask you. I mean, uh, I, I think like, you know, there's, there's this idea that like, nobody sort of knows what's going to happen with schools and there's all these sort of, I don't know, myths and realities. So mm-hmm. I'd love to try to separate the myth from the reality. Like, is there something that you're seeing uh, in media or on the news that you feel like is not necessarily reflect a reflection of what's really happening on the ground from your perspective um, that may be affecting those sort of uh, changing decisions or changing ideas from parents? Yeah. As a matter of fact, that just, came out like this morning. I mean, I know it's come out, but I heard that as recently as this morning when they say, when the news released that second grader in Georgia, I think, went to school on day one 
and came home on day two with testing positive for COVID. You see families, our schools are not prepared, right? And the, the story behind that, that people are probably never going to understand or, or, or dig into is that, but what were the plans of the school? And how did those return to school plans affect how it is now that you have to quarantine the students, the safety and things like that? I mean, it's not to say that the school was to blame for the student doing that, but like kind of like what are your plans after it happens, right? Those are really the things that schools need to think about. So when they say, oh, the school has now to shut down because of the one student, that tells me something that there was something in the plan that perhaps the school was not prepared for and didn't anticipate in handling how do we react and how do we continue school if this were to happen to us? Because it's not a realistic response to just say it happens to us and then we shut down because otherwise you're on and off, you're on and off, right? So I, I think that thinking about those plans is not is not always emphasized in, in the news how schools and districts are working so hard about thinking about plans and return to school plans and really thinking about 50 different configurations of how to do that. Right. And I wonder if that's, I mean, we'll, we'll find out in a couple of weeks when we chat with you again, we'll, we'll revisit that topic. And I'm, I'm guessing that we're going to see more and more of those stories, unfortunately, that okay. don't really provide the background that, 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 that people need. And there are schools that are preparing and districts that are preparing better than others. And there'll be some decisions made that probably weren't the right decisions for no, you know, through, through no fault of anybody making them. It's just the unpredictable nature of everything. Um, but I do think right now, you know, that's, that's for the last two weeks, that's the big topic of the news everywhere is, uh, is all about how schools are going to open. And when there's this kind of frenzy, this media frenzy about things, it's almost mm-hmm. like, I don't know, I don't want to be negative, but it's almost like you're looking for something to go wrong so you can right. clamp right. down on whatever horrible news you hear and just believe everything. And then it gets perpetuated by rumors and social media. Um, and folks like you are, are, are behind the scenes and your district, you know, trying to do the best you can. I think we need to tell, tell those stories. Uh, I think that's really important. So last question, Rowena, um, I, and I'm going to ask everybody this question, I think probably every time we chat, where are you getting your inspiration from right now? Like what is keeping you going? Is there something that you would, advice that you would give to others, place mm-hmm. to go to kind of keep keep yourself sort of energized and inspired? Yeah. I am really hopeful for what can come out of this with respect to schooling that we've been thinking about and talking about for the longest time, right? So for the longest time, we've said schools are not equitable for all kids. Learning has to be individualized. Students have to learn at their pace and supported at that. There needs to be more emphasis on social emotional learning. Students need to be agents of of their learning. I think for the first time, we're figuring out ways to do that in this environment, right? Because how is it that I'm going to do that in distance learning, make it flexible, make it accessible, have office, have synchronous and asynchronous learning sessions and things like that. Teachers are finding that out. And I think maybe not right after this, but over time, I think we're going to realize for high schools, for instance, the hybrid model. Do they have to go to all one hour classes six times a day? Is that really the best time and the best way to spend their school day? 
Is there a way to kind of split that on black periods, but at the end of the day, have built in time for intervention? So those were things that we were thinking around with for the longest time, but we didn't think that we could. And so I think for the first time, we're given the opportunity to kind of reinvent that, rethink that. So that's, that's really where I'm getting my inspiration from. And of course, from teachers, their renewed spirit and creativity and innovation really, really inspire me. Teachers that didn't trust themselves with technology, teachers that didn't think that they could do this. And all of a sudden on week two, <laughs> they have Google Classroom set up with all of its bells and whistles. In some cases, those are teachers who are about to retire. So you have teachers there that, you know, from day one, I have been in this for the right reason, and I'm going to continue to do that for the right reason. And I know there are way more examples of that that we're not hearing from because we tend to be hearing about the negative these days. But I know that those are going on. I have personal anecdotes of that. I have experienced that myself. So that renewed opportunity and reinventing teaching and learning and schooling in general for students, I'm very inspired. At what I'm really excited what can come out of this. Yeah, so your inspiration comes from what you're seeing with teachers and the long game of what's going to happen next, which I think is really important. And I am quite sure, just based on this first conversation, uh, that we'll hear a lot more inspiring things from you as we uh, follow you and what Saddleback is doing over the next couple months. Um, but I wanted to thank you for taking the time for this first uh, episode with you on the In This Together docuseries. It's, you're, it's clear that you're very passionate about what you do. It's contagious. Um, and I'm really appreciative uh, of having you on. Thank you, Steve.